Layovers, your weekly dose of aviation innovation. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome aboard from the flight deck. This is Paul Pavelevichu. Hello, everybody. This is Alex Hunter. We'll be your pilots for this show about the news, the startups, and the technologies defining the modern air travel experience. Our flight time today, an hour and seven minutes, and we expect an on-time arrival. Coming up on this flight, EasyJet goes Star Trek with its uniforms. Air Star shows the iPad is a best-of-class IFA. The potential new reality of airport security after the terror attacks. Twitter has the best customer channel for airlines. Norwegian shows how a website should be done. Testing Etihad's upgrade bidding system. Turkish aces the IFE interface. And should liquid still be put out at security? As we reach our cruising altitude, I'm going to turn off the fast signal sign for you. Now, ladies and gentlemen, sit back, relax, and let's turn on those noise-canceling headphones. Flight 28 to Istanbul. Hi, Alex. Istanbul. Good morning. Yes, morning. Istanbul, one of one of the uh, the outposts on your unbelievably crazy itinerary that you just got back from, which I'm I'm looking forward to hearing a little bit more about. Yeah, field research, as you field call research, it. Field so, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah been, I, I just had two weeks of uh, nonstop travels, lots and lots of legs. I'm gonna, of course, talk about them throughout the show. Istanbul, it's a wonderful city. It's really one of my favorite cities in Europe. The airport, mm, not that much. You'll hear about that at the end of the show. <laughs> uh, we, we, you and I have some reservations about that airport. Yeah. But we'll talk about it at the end of the show. But first of all, of course, we cannot start this show without seeing that basically the world has changed. We're, just, we're recording just after the attacks in Paris. This is not fun at all. Um, this is not something that anyone was wishing for and anyone was expecting. Uh, the reason we say that is obviously that is uh, it has some type of link with what we said in the last show as well. We has talked about that Russian airliner that crashed, and um, we were so sure that it was a mechanical failure. And just after the recording of the show, uh, well, there were some reports by U.S. intelligence that said, you know, there's 90% chance it was actually a bomb. And since then, well, I think it was yesterday, we're recording today on Thursday, November the 19th, uh, Russian authorities basically said, well, yeah, it was a bomb. Yeah, it's, as you say, the world has definitely changed. And I, I'm, I'm heartbroken for Paris. It's one of my favorite cities in the world. And... <laughs> Whatever you think about the situation in France on any level, no one deserves this. No one, no, no one needs this, and it's 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 awful. And I, my heart goes out to anybody who is affected directly or indirectly by this. Um, I was yeah. just as an aside, I was working with some startups uh, yesterday or day before yesterday, and halfway through uh, chatting with one of them, uh, they happened to mention that they were all from Paris, and you sort of they were remarkably together, and uh, you know. But had the weight of the world on their shoulders as well. So I, I you know, it's, it's it's a very strange time for the world. And as you say, travel has changed with it, sadly. Yeah. So our heart goes to for Paris, obviously for Beirut as well. They also had uh, yeah, that two was bombings uh, just before, and of course for the the Russian people that were also hit by that uh, accident in in e over Egypt. Uh, yeah. It's uh, you you said. It feels, last episode you said, it feels less safe to travel. And although the statistics show otherwise, it's true that when you see that, it seems uh, there's been 
just after the, of course, when the, the Paris attacks happened, since we we're talking about uh, air travel here, there were uh, some flights that were diverted. I think American Airlines stopped traveling for Paris for a few hours, not being sure about the situation. There, there has been also two bomb threats, uh, which is, when you think about it, in two Air France flights from U.S. to Paris that forced them to do emergency landings. You know, you there's a problem with the signal to noise here. I mean, you, people start to freak out, which I understand if I were you know, in that situation, I would as well. It yeah. becomes a bit really... There's also a purport. Have you seen that image, supposedly, of a can of Schweppes uh, that is supposedly the bomb that was put in the Russian airliner? Yeah, I, I did see that. And it's uh, it's hard to... Maybe even impossible to confirm the, the veracity of that report. Um, but it looks so simple... And frighteningly simple yeah. that they were able to create something that was so devastating um, with with such really primitive ingredients, as it were. Yeah. So the 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 image was apparently comes from an ISIS social media channel. So obviously the experts are divided. Is it just propaganda to say, look, this is so simple that we could do it anywhere? Uh, obviously, it's too simple to say that they could do it anywhere. It's true that uh, most of the airports have a very heightened security, including for airport staff. So it's not as if you can just bring you know, a bomb in an airport that easily. But it, it seems that uh, a lot of airlines think that it can't be the case for Sharm el-Sheikh because basically they're not flying there anymore. Yeah, I, I've never seen such a blanket response to something like this where governments have mandated that airlines don't fly there anymore and f- in, in perpetuity some have said we're, we're we're not flying there indefinitely russia has forbidden its airlines flying there i think through at least through the end of the year um and you feel for the egyptian people because so much yeah. of their economy is dependent on tourism and when things like this happen it really it really damages that economy so it's 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 a it's just a bad situation all around. And, and there was also this piece of news. That I, I'm not sure about its veracity, but apparently it was reported by various serious sources. There was a UK airliner uh, jet which came within a thousand feet of a missile. Yeah, this is an extraordinary <laughs> what, what? story that, that that bubbled up uh, during the the sort of aftermath of the, the Sharm el-Sheikh crash that – uh, a Thompson jet, this is back in August, had come within a, a thousand feet of a missile. And in th- a thousand feet in, in aeronautical terms is right next to it, basically. Yeah, it's and nothing. It's, 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 it's microscopic. It seems like it was obviously not targeted. They weren't trying to shoot this plane down. It was almost certainly something to do with uh, Egyptian military exercises that were happening in the area. But how on earth can that happen? How can you be testing missiles in an area that planes are flying over? How does that even happen? And that's that's really frightening. For the moment, uh, basically, most airlines don't fly to Sharm el-Sheikh. Uh, we need to say that they still fly to Cairo. So it's not as if Egypt as a whole has been targeted. It's really that airport, which is a very famous spot for holidays. Uh, it's currently basically uh, shut down. I mean, the airport is not shut down, but the, the routes are, are being shut down. Yeah. So uh, now the question is, uh, because we had these type of discussions, even though I was traveling and you were not these past two weeks, is what it, what will be the consequences in general for flying? Because uh, every time there are such things happening, that they don't happen that much often, we see heightened security and uh, probably we'll see more sp- 
it will be more difficult to travel, um, even though most probably uh, in the case of that Russian airliner, the bomb, if if this the scenario that is uh, being proven was not put by a passenger, but was put by Ground someone, staff. Yeah, you know, exactly. a staff or someone who entered the perimeter of the airport within the uh, uh, to, 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 to reach the, the aircraft. And one of the thoughts we had is that obviously there might be more security theater. So, you know, even though, you know, again, nothing like uh, the passengers are not at fault here, there might be more security theater, which will tr- make travels even more painful for us. Yeah. But one of the thoughts I had is that we've seen that already. Of course, Israel basically insources security anywhere in the world. So though we might not be going there, if you look at what the US is doing and also a bit the UK, they're, they're also doing that kind of insourcing. By insourcing, I mean, instead of trusting the local authorities and the local security staff and even the local handlers, they basically send their own guys there to, yep. to handle all of this. And we might see that more and more. I'm not saying in all airports in the world, but basically in airports that countries for good or bad reasons consider at risk, they might say, you know what, we'll have American people doing the American screening yep. Uh, for our own jets, at least for our, the, uh, the airlines that are not for the ones that are with American passengers in the case of America, but for at least the American airlines. The same might happen for the UK, which problematically will actually increase the, the, the cost. And that yeah. cost might actually be given to us. I oh, mean, of course. You know, on absolutely. It definitely will. And I think, I think we will absolutely see that, at least in the short term, where are the, uh, at, at airports that have been deemed, um, permeable, if you will. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And you're right. I mean, this is what, this is what LL do. They, no one from outside that organization can get anyone near any of their airplanes and at a huge cost to them. I mean, you always, you know, you, you go to any airport and uh, almost without exception, they're parked on a remote stand um, that's always cordoned off. There's always somebody standing near the airplane. And I think you're right. I think we will see that we will see governments taking on security at foreign airports for their own airlines. And I had seen that already a few times. I think when I was living in Manila, I remember with the American Airlines, there were some American staff clearly there. I don't know if they were handling the entire screening process, but of course they were there. Now you you found... Because, you know, in the U.S., since we're talking about the U.S., the, the, the security um, administration is called the TSA, and, but they're not that good. The, you, you've seen this article. Apparently, there was, a, there was a gun that was that got into a plane or something. Yeah, the TSA have a very bad reputation, and they have, frankly, in my opinion, earned that reputation. And this is, this is extraordinary. Uh, a chap at, at Atlanta Airport, a very big huge, one of the busiest airports in the world, took a loaded gun through security and boarded a flight without anyone stopping him. And the only reason they figured this out is because he realized he'd forgotten to take his gun out of his out of his bag. And he said, uh, he, didn't, he didn't realize until he got to his destination and he said, I just wanted to do the right thing. I didn't want to get anybody in trouble. So he sort of fessed up and said, I'm, I'm really sorry I did this. And the TSA said, basically, whoops, and they're going to retrain their employees. But if if it's so simple that you can not even remember that you have a gun, I make no active attempt to conceal it and still get it through security at one of the biggest airports in the world, then they might as well not be there. Yeah, it's uh, there, there's an article I'm going to put in the show notes on Quartz. 
which has many quotes about the inability of the TSA to basically ensure that there are, that they talk about that the, they are regularly, you know, exercises. So basically they try uh, to put um, unlawful material in planes. We're talking guns, obviously, and others. And they go through most of the time and they say, well, what's the point of having a TSA? These stuff go through. And it's uh, the reason we want to mention that is obviously if we get more security theater, <laughs> well, at least it has to be efficient. Otherwise, right. what's the point? What's and the point you, of making our lives even more difficult if you cannot even screen a gun? And when you say theater, and I think that that's a per- perfectly appropriate word, you mean that it's not it's, – it's all for show. It's not actually doing anything to improve the security. Yeah, sadly so, because uh, – and I'm again, I'm not going to making blanket statements that it's always bad and it's always – but overall, it doesn't seem that the, according to most of what we read, there's been congressional reports about the TSA, but also in other countries there's been uh, research about it, that, there's, that there has been problems with it. And there was also this other story you found, which also means it's becoming, people are freaking out. Yeah. Sometimes for no reason, right? You always get this residue when something like this happens. And in Chicago, uh, pardon me, in Baltimore on a Chicago-bound flight, Four passengers were were removed uh, as the plane was taxiing for acting, quote unquote, suspiciously. Now, these people were said to be of Middle Eastern uh, descent. This always happens. People are jumpy. They make kind of their their imaginations run wild. I'm sure that these people were doing absolutely nothing. But and it's a shame that we sort of we knee jerk to to situations like this. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, and we might see that for a little bit. So anyone was traveling, it will be traveling. You, you will be traveling to, to Dubai next. Uh, I'll be also traveling to the Middle East and other, and other parts of the world. And we might see that it's, it's, it's really sad. I hope this dwindles fast. I mean, I hope we find, yeah, because it's, uh, it's uh, never a good state of affairs, especially, I mean, we're, I'm going to say it, we're lucky with two white guys. So uh, it's it also makes maybe our lives easier. But I mean, not all the world is white. So yeah. other people are not targeted uselessly. Uh, one story about security in my, in my travel. So I, I did travel with Etihad. It had been years I hadn't traveled with Etihad. I'll mention that a little bit later. But I did, um, I was in premium. So I got an amenity ticket. You know, the basically toiletries that they yeah. give you. Uh, then I continued on. I arrived in Astana in Kazakhstan. And I had put that one in my uh, carry-on. So I had a backpack and a carry-on both with me in the plane. When I, I cleared security in uh, Astana... I totally had forgotten that I put that in my carry-on. You're supposed to put your liquids out. So I had, you know, the usual liquid pack, you know, the transparent bag out. But that one didn't say anything. Aristana uh, also gave me an amenity kit. So I had two. Uh, I spent the night in Istanbul and I put that second one also in my my carry-on. And when I cleared security again, this time again, Nobody said anything at Istanbul Airport. And the same thing at Zagreb Airport. And the same thing then at Skopje Airport. And the same thing again at Istanbul when I passed again. Meaning that I was wondering, because at the end for me, it was almost like game. I said, there are clearly, you know, small liquids in there. So why do they ask me to remove the liquid bag if... In the carry-on, there are two amenities with liquids, and they don't say anything. I'm not sure about it. it, Yeah, and I I was thinking about this after you told me that story. I, I... I wonder, and this doesn't exonerate them from any inconsistency, I wonder if when they see them on the x-ray, they can say, that's under 100 mils, therefore, 
it doesn't need to be removed or it, it, it's okay to go. But the, I mean, the hundred mil thing is just to, it's totally arbitrary. It, it, you Obviously, know, it is. It, it makes no sense. I think that's kind of the whole the whole joke of the of the liquids policy. But how are you going to? I mean, I know that I've had issues going through security at, at London airports where you forget to take out a thing of toothpaste that's like yeah. twenty five mils, and that you know they'll they'll find it and they'll take it out and they'll give you a, you know a finger wag. Um, What's the consistency? What's the policy? What is it actually intended to do? Is it even a thing anymore? <sighs> yeah, it's not certain. I don't, I mean, I'm not complaining. I just, it was, you know, I truly had forgotten it. And then I just played along and see, will they were ever ask me to remove these products? And it didn't. There are different policies in different countries, obviously. So I didn't check any different, uh, but you know, there, there's an insistence on where are your liquids? And you put out a bag at the same time, the remaining liquids, nobody nobody even dared to ask me. I don't know. Anyway, honestly, I don't know. And, and I'm not here to say that it shows that we should stop asking for liquids. In truth, there are inconsistencies in how they deal with it, and uh, which sometimes makes me think it's a bit of a theater more than an actual, you know, Absolutely. there might be like a real dangerous product in those liquids. Uh, so moving on a little bit away from the bad news that we had, because we also want to share some happy news. So first, I mean, I, I don't know if it's a bad news. <laughs> we had we had said several episodes ago that Emirates was uh, introducing a two-class A380 uh, to Copenhagen instead of the three-class with the famous showers on the top. They have no only uh, economy and business. The plane just started, and it's the, the aircraft with the most passengers in. It's 615 people. And wow. that, that's that's the most ever. That's the most ever, yes. I, I think theoretically, if you put a, all, an only economy, you can go to 800. Wow. I think that was when, when Airbus started selling the A3. That's what I said. I don't know if we'll ever reach that, if any low cost or something. Well, I mean, it, it, it's so interesting to me. So for, for reference, the, the largest capacity right now or configuration is uh, 538, which is Air France. But in the in the eighties and nineties, and I'm you know you know this as well as anybody in Japan, you would have yeah. these all economy seven four seven. In fact, yeah. Boeing developed a specific type of seven four seven. I think it was a four hundred derivative, just for the Japanese domestic market. That was um, yeah. There's a very famous Tokyo to Osaka route. Yeah, one of the busiest in the world in terms of passengers, and you had these seven four sevens going back and forth fully loaded with economy now with the advent of the shinkansen the, the bullet train uh, there's been i'm not sure they're still flying these big fat seven four sevens i haven't i don't know, uh, I don't know. You know. I, but it's in, you know i think that maybe airbus had hedged a few airframes to that market but it's never materialized this is the closest it's got and uh, 615 that's a lot of people but it's it's that we it's taken this long to get that far is 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 interesting to me Plus, uh, I've been flown this. I mean, I've never flown that configuration. There's a lot of people, but because the airports are laid out in a way to, you know, there are multiple jet bridges and stuff, it doesn't seem that it takes forever to, you know, it's not that disturbing. I mean, you'll fly this the A380, I think, to Dubai, right? Yes, but A380 both ways. So you'll be able to drive, not the, the two class, but you'll see because the first, the, the lower deck, is and was full economy. So it seems to be a lot, but it's actually quite okay, I, I believe. Uh, quickly on, on Emirates, uh, fantastic video. Yeah. <laughs> uh, these guys, so they do all these videos, of course, promotional videos, marketing videos, and they use the A3 a lot because that's what they mainly use along with the 777. So there's this uh, promotional video of the A380 flying over Dubai 
with two guys on jetpacks. Unbelievable. It's the most staggering video that I've seen in a very, very long time. They're like the kings of stuff like that. I think Dubai plus Emirates equals amazing videos like this. Probably also because you get authorizations. I don't think you could have an A380 with two jetpacks flying over New York or London. No, right? <laughs> <laughs> no you're right. But if you get a chance, watch the video. It's, it's really breathtaking. So now, happy birthday to uh, EasyJet. Uh, it's 20 years. Uh, they, uh, they really, truly changed the face of travels yeah, here in absolutely. Europe. Yeah, absolutely. Along with others like uh, Ryanair Ryan and all the others. But 20 years, wow. There's, uh, I, you know what? I'm a big, I'm a big cheerleader for EasyJet. I think they're a great airline. I, what they Me have too. achieved in 20 years is extraordinary. And I think Absolutely. they should be commended. Their, their CEO, Carolyn McCall, is super smart and incredibly – she's easily one of the best airline CEOs in the world uh, and yeah. has just taken the airline on an on a incredible trajectory. So congratulations to them. I'm, I'm, and we said many times, it's actually a very good product. It uh, is a good product, yeah. Yeah. It's uh, really in terms of, even if you just compare it with other low cost, I think it's one of the best low costs I've ever flown with. I mean, there's the crew are great. They are the seats, the newer, especially the newer seats. Uh, they are also very comfortable for where they are. So it's, it's a really good airline. Now, uh, I'm not sure about the plans that just unveiled them. <laughs> this can't be real. I'm, I, this cannot be real. There's, there's no way that this is real. <laughs> <laughs> so they have, EasyJet have unveiled what they call futuristic LED studded uniforms for next year. And I kept waiting for this to be, oh, it's a concept, but they are, are they're doing it. And they, it's basically these, these uniforms that have LEDs built into them, like accessories. They're almost like a stripe of LEDs. And they say that it's supposed to enhance safety on board and on the ground. And it's got built-in microphones, cameras, I can see it working on for ground crew who are in and around the airplane uh, in low visibility or bad weather, being able to see something like that. But this can't be real, can it? On board? No. I mean, I, I mean, there's a whole infrastructure. I mean, a whole infrastructure. Let's not exaggerate. But they say that each suit will have the flight number on it being flashed or something. I don't even see, I mean, I get, kind of get to see the point because now if you're talking to that person, is the right person or something? I, I'm not sure if it's, is it really something that is, that enhances the passenger experience? I, I, no, I think, I think for the cabin crew, it, I, it doesn't make any sense. But for engineers, I think it makes yeah, a lot of that's sense. that's different. Yeah, because yeah, they've different. said that the LEDs on the jacket can illuminate the area in which they're working. They've got a, it's got a built-in camera so they can take a picture and send it over to their, to other engineers or their engineering department to get an assessment. That, that makes a lot of sense. But for in for the cabin crew, it's I think that's more of a PR angle than anything else. Yeah, we'll see if it actually happens or if it's like you said, just more PR. But they've been they've been doing stuff. I mean, there's a lot of uh, always criticisms about low cost that they don't think about a passenger. But they you know they they have an Apple Watch app. They have like yeah, they're, they're very innovative. Yeah, they are very innovative. Uh, the only thing that they don't have yet, and uh, we've been talking as well many times that there's no IFE. Uh, it's true that there are short flights. But I'm sure, and you were, you told me that you're sure that they are looking into products uh, to either stream uh, content to your device because it's a new revenue stream for them as well. So this is, we'll see if it happens. And I had an experience, an interesting one. So I flew Air Astana for the first time from uh, Kazakhstan, so Astana, to uh, uh, Istanbul. How was it? Was it? A gorgeous, it was a great flight. Honestly, it was a fantastic flight. It's a, okay, it's a, 
brand new A320. It was probably a year old. Uh, the product is very good. I was in premium, let's be honest. Uh, but also behind, it seems to be you know very quality. The, the staff is really nice. You could see that they're making a lot, a lot, a lot of efforts. The flight was about four and a half hours. So, of course, when I enter an airline that I don't know, I, I like immediately I look, will there be IFE? So, should I put out my uh, laptop and my noise-canceling headphones? Should I basically provide my own? And that's what I assumed because I saw, you know, these little uh, lead numbers on the side of the seats, so which kind of tell oh, yeah, you, yeah, oh, yeah. this is going to be a very old-fashioned, you know, uh, overhead screen and I can choose my channel. So, yeah. I put everything out. We, we take off, and then they hand me an iPad. And they handed each of the passengers an iPad, and it was a fantastic experience. For the first time, I actually used an iPad. I had used I had used a tablet five years ago in a plane, but we're talking five years ago. But right. honestly, when I think about all the IFEs and fancy IFEs we've tried, this was the most fantastic experience. It was snappy. It was fast. It was it just worked Great. Wow. They had made a little uh, uh, hinge so you could actually, you know, put in the in the seat in front of you, so you actually sit like a proper uh, screen. And but what know, about moving map? So ha, yeah. So there was no moving map on that one. And uh, I, from so, what I understand, on their wide body, because you were on A three twenty, right? Yes. So on the, apparently on their wide bodies, on their seven fifty sevens and seven sixty sevens, they use the overhead monitors for yes, but, the moving uh, map. I was about to tell you that. So there was a movie that was playing all the overhead monitors for parts of the flight. And then when that one was switched off, it came back to the map. So, of course, I had the map on top and I had the, the iPad in front oh, of that's me. that's all you need. When you think about it, it's such snappier that all the crazy stuff they invest in other airlines. And I'll come to this later on today because I've tried other IFEs. It was a fantastic experience. A company that does that because I went to look for it. It's called Blue Box Avionics. It's really an app. Because I was able to go out because, you know, I was trying to get out. Uh, <laughs> and there was a, one single app, and that app was this one. And you, you, so it's a very fantastic experience. The flight was a fantastic experience. The food was great. The crew was great. The staff, they were really, really nice. So I, I think it's something that uh, other airlines should think about instead of trying too hard to create you know, old-fashioned IFEs, I think this is a great way to provide entertainment for people. Yeah. Uh, I, I would compare that to, uh, so I was in an uh, Etihad to from Manchester to Abu Dhabi and then Abu Dhabi to Astana, so prior to that. The first bit was uh, the, the that aircraft you love, the A340-600. Uh-huh. <laughs> it was funny, it kind of shoot at... By the way, it's uh, it's over. You know that flight. They don't. They they are stopping the production because it's going to be replaced by the A three fifty. Right. So uh, great experience. Why? Because that bit. So I receive an email maybe a week before I'm about to fly, and uh, say, "Do you want to upgrade yourself?" So I was already in business class, uh, paid by the client. So I'm like, "Hmm." And I look at the prices. So it doesn't tell you how much you have to bid. Uh, so it's a company called Plusgrade. They do that for a lot, a lot of airlines around the world. Uh, so there wasn't a had. there wasn't a minimum bid that you had to. No, pay. the minimum was zero, uh, and the maximum you could go. I think it was like almost a thousand five hundred British pounds, which is a lot of money. I tried to be clever. I tried to go on the website and try to book myself on on first to see what is the normal price for first. I couldn't get that. They said fully booked. I'm like, damn it. Uh, so I tried many things. Apparently, it's new. Uh, so I talked to one of the, the staff in the plane. Uh, they've just, they used to do a two-class configuration. They just added 
the three class configuration to have a first class. So I ended up paying almost nothing because there's a when you when you do the little, there's a little slide. It's pretty well done. There's a slide you can go how much you want to bid. And on the side of that slide, there's a indicator that says, are you in the red? So almost no chances to actually get an upgrade. Are you in the kind of the yellow and green, dark green, et cetera? And even at very low bids, I was already in the green. So I said, you know what? I don't want to pay too much, but I'm just going to try for the hell of it. And, was and the, I tried. Was the, yeah, that slider indicator on plus grade site or the Etihad site? Uh, it was Etihad site, but probably it's uh, branded because... They tell oh, you that the process is separate. Uh, they tell you that that process is is completely separate. I guess once you, the bid is accepted, in the background, plus grade contacts Etihad, Etihad upgrades you, etc. There's no, there was no manage my booking. The you know the usual stuff you would you see on. The, so it was a separate part of the website. I see, but it was still Etihad. I mean, for most people, uh, you would look as if you're on Etihad's website. So there's no seemingly de- different look and feel. So I won, and I was on first class, obviously. Uh, very, very nice. I was the only guy on first class. That's okay. amazing. Yeah, I mean, and I'm going to say that. There was a chef, like they do, you know, like you know, like Emirates does and all these uh, Turkish does even in business. And I, very, you know, young crew, like, like Emirates. So it was really nice. You know, I told them, you know, stop the, all the decorum. You know, I'm a young, so don't overdo it with me let's just have a nice fight and chat and whatever so it was really uh, enjoying my my time obviously the chef told me that it was almost the first time he actually worked on that route because most of the time the first class is empty that's crazy that that doesn't make any sense but do you think i mean manchester to abu dhabi do you think that's a lot of or a higher proportion of leisure traffic i I, it's the first time I flew out of Manchester, so I'm not absolutely sure. It's the second biggest, uh, I mean, it's the biggest, second biggest financial center, if you want, in terms of the economy in the UK. So there must be people that travel for work. I mean, and business was full, ah, almost full. Interesting. Uh, I guess maybe 90% full because I went for, for a walk. So I don't know. I don't know, man, but it's, uh, so either the, it was just a month, you know, it's basically a month they had started. I'm not even sure they advertised it maybe uh, as well or or simply uh, maybe it just doesn't make any economical sense. It's just trying. Maybe they have this extra aircraft and they say, we're going to put that on our route. But they had, because all the other staff, you know, if there's no one in, in first, they can go and help people in business or in coach. So they can, but the chef is exclusively reserved for first class. So if there's no one in first class, he simply doesn't work. <laughs> he, was, he told me, I'm really happy you're here because I can work. <laughs> so, That's you know, and, and yeah, all the fancy stuff, like, you know, there was a menu. I kept the menu. I should put a, a picture online at one point, And they said, do you want a, something from the grill? You're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, the usual doesn't make sense. And it's up. I mean, once in a while, I don't get that too, too often. So I said, why not? It was a fantastic experience, obviously. Um, what was not that fantastic was trying to book myself. So like Emirates, they offer a chauffeur service. So you can get, uh, basically, there's a, a, a private hire car that takes you from where you are around the airport to the airport. I was in Sheffield, so that, that was in the 100 miles that they consider uh, for their for this service. And I tried to call them because on the website, when I was trying to put Sheffield, the website was forcing me to put Manchester. I was like, no, I mean, I'm in a different city. I need the other city. So I called them. And I know you've been through that one as well, and we'll talk about it. 
they make it really hard to actually talk to someone. You end up in these loops when at the end they say, oh, you should check our website. You're like, no, I want to talk to someone. I found at the end, and if anyone wants to talk to me, I'll tell you how to reach someone at the end of these things. But it's really hard. And you've, you've basically told me that you simply use Twitter and that works very good, right? Yeah, I, I've been amazed with how efficient and successful Twitter is as a support channel for these airlines. I've had two experiences with two separate airlines. For example, BA, I was trying to get some miles back for a flight that was canceled and I spent 25 minutes on the phone with their premium support line like uh, because I have status with them they give you a special number to call and 25 minutes we couldn't really get to the to the end of the process to get them back one dm to them on twitter and the miles were in my account in 3 minutes oh that's yeah, yeah. i think we, we 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 talked a little bit about that i'm wondering if the social media teams let's call them like that have maybe more power or maybe they are based in the UK as opposed to, you know, these customer centers are often based either in the Philippines, yeah. India, et cetera. Maybe I, they simply have more power to get things done. Than, I think they uh, do. I think they're probably uh, more, more, more skewed towards handling tech savvy customers just by virtue of the fact that the channel that they're working. So that, you know, you can have pretty good conversations with them. I think, I think it's, it's a number of things. And I think the airlines and customers, I mean, brands in general have realized that you can't remove or decouple the customer service side from the ability to solve the problem. They have to be one in the same. So you have to equip those people to be actually able to solve the problem and not just placate the customer. Yeah, and, I should use that more often. I should actually have used that with Etihad. I didn't. Uh, yeah, and they, to, they, to, they, they to, helped as well. Like they, I was trying to, to, to make a change to a flight and I couldn't get through to a human on the phone. <laughs> told you. <laughs> and and I mess- I said I, I messaged them on Twitter publicly and said, hey, can you help me with this? And they said, DM us your phone number and we'll have someone call you straight away. I was like, that's great. That's fantastic. I, and, and I will say something. When I reach, because now I know how to reach someone at Etihad, <laughs> when I reach, they are first, they were in the UK, but they were extremely efficient. The, the person on the, other, on, the light, on the side of the phone was kind, efficient, it got me sorted out very, very quickly. So I was really happy. So Maybe they don't have, they're still thinking, uh, like many airlines, like they're thinking like, oh, you know what? There are so many things you can do online. It is true. I mean, there are most of the stuff in the, in these modern airlines, you can go on the website and do it on your own. Yeah. But there are hedge cases, cancellations of flight. You want to, you're not sure about what's going to happen. Or in my case, I know this is a very, very edge case. I want to book a chauffeur service and the website doesn't allow me to put it on the city I want. Yeah. These are small edge cases that, you know, like you truly have to talk to someone or at least DM someone. So I should have used Twitter. I will use them because other than that, you know, Etihad was great. Uh, uh, yeah, I wanted to say, I forgot because I talked about the iPad on Aristana. Yeah. So the, the IFE on, it, on Etihad is, it's fantastic. But to be honest, it's not as snappy as the iPad. This is where you like, so you have this very fancy modern entertainment system. And the iPad beats it. It's just incredible. That is incredible. <laughs> uh, Aristana was also very kind to actually tweet me because I tweeted that I was very happy and they tweeted back. You know, they also seem to be active on social, uh, on Twitter, saying that very happy you were very happy about your first flight. So thank you guys. You, you are really a great airline and I hope you get, you go very far because more people should fly you. Great airline. Oh, that's, I, yeah, I'm disappointed I had to cancel my, my flight with them, but I'm sure I'll get an opportunity to fly with them in the future. 
One flight that we shared and a common history is that I had uh, to fly from Zagreb to Skopje with uh, Croatian Airline. It was the first time I flew on Croatian Airline. And you immediately told me, oh, I remember I've flown them. I love these airlines. They have a Pope plane. What is a Pope plane? The Pope plane. So, yeah, I flew them maybe five years ago, four or five years ago. And I was um, in in the first row of the of the plane, and there's a little plaque on there that says that this particular airplane had had transported the Pope at some point. On I think it says the, the dates and everything. I think it says it in about three languages. And I thought, well, that's that's kind of cool. You know, never been on the same plane as the. I mean, obviously he wasn't on the plane at the same time as me, but uh, just that they they chose to kind of commemorate that and that I got to go on it. And then, as you and I, as we always do, are are kind of messaging back and forth and you said i'm flying commemoration airlines and i told you that story and you're like wait a minute there's a plaque at the front of this airplane <laughs> and so for the first time we flew on the same airplane yeah exactly what are the one. odds i mean frankly if you think about it what are the odds of the same airplanes doing the same you know the route that we had both taken and it was I flew London. No, it was it was Zagreb Frankfurt, and you had done Zagreb Skopje, Skopje. right? So, I mean, yeah. I think that's cool. That's yeah. cool. That was also an eventful flight because for the first time, so there were two passengers that boarded very late in the plane, and she was there was a couple, and she was clearly let's put it that way wasted, uh, like to like really like you know, not being able to stand up correctly and slurring and shouting. And I was like, oh, damn God. And I was <laughs> I was also in the very first row and they, they sat almost next to me. And I'm like, oh, dear God, this flight is going to be very long. I'm going to better put out my noise-canceling headphones. And then we're not taking off. We're waiting and waiting and waiting. I'm like, hmm, something is going on. And obviously, after a few minutes, what happens? The police is in. <laughs> uh-uh. And so I think the the captain wanted to throw them out. Uh, they started negotiating, and then I think the captain just like was like, "Oh, damn it! It's just a narrowed something flight. I just don't want to negotiate forever. Let's get on with it." So the police left. So I, I almost had for the first time seen someone be thrown out of a plane. Didn't happen. The people that ended up not being next to me, they went on the back, so I was kind of relieved. <laughs> Everything went well. But, I mean, it was a really eventful week, so it was like not another problem. Yeah, yeah, why your trip it? was unbelievable. Yeah, why do I say that? Because so, that's the biggest of, of them all. So I was in um, I was in, in Turkey in the morning uh, very early. I had a very early flight. I was supposed to fly from Istanbul to Skopje. My flight was at 7-something. I decided to stay in the hotel airports within Istanbul airport airside. I wake up, I had my alarm clock at five. I wake up and first thing I see is a tripit notification on my phone. Your flight is canceled. I'm like, oh, no way. <laughs> so the, the notification came from Tripit. Yes. So the flight had been booked on Expedia. Expedia, nothing. So Expedia had sent me, you know, the gate changes, had sent me all the rest of my flight. Don't forget to check in, blah, 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 nothing. Turkish, I'll admit, I didn't have, I didn't book through Turkish, so there was no direct relationship. But they had, you know, my email, they had my uh, mobile phone number, nothing. So I was really happy that I had TripIt and others also fly to from, uh, which is another app, also had sent me a notification. I'm seeing that because... I was supposed to, you know, I put the alarm clock very early because I wanted to make myself a coffee, take a shower, take my time. And, you know, like then at that point, I was like, oh, damn it. 
there's no other flight that leaves to Skopje until tonight, and I need to be there. So I was directly on Google Flights trying to understand what you know what what should I do, and I right. rushed out of my room and I said, okay, there's a flight to Frankfurt. I can take that six forty five. That then and I take a connecting flight. I go out. I see the big board flight to Frankfurt cancel. Like, oh, what? <laughs> so hang on a second. Let's. I want to. I want to make sure I'm clear on this. You got a notification from TripIt. But you did not get a notification from Expedia, through whom you booked the ticket, nor from Turkish, who was doing the flight. Correct. Exactly. So if you hadn't paid for the TripIt Pro, because that's a feature for TripIt Pro, right? Correct. Correct. You would have been blissfully asleep and not... Yeah, I would have have gotten out of my room much later, which by that time, I would have probably missed the flight that I ended up making, which is the one through Zagreb, because... And, you know, people like you and me, we we know where to go. We immediately go on Google Flights and I'm like, okay, what are the options? What can I do from here? And I go like, I was like, my mind was racing. I need to get there. How do I do this? I'm not going to rely on the customer service of Turkey to tell me how to do that. Which, by the way, was my next thing. So I still had to cancel my flight. There's no way, there's no app to go through and do that. So I had to go customer service. So I, I go, I'm like... This, the layout that we'll talk about at the end, the layout of this airport is not clear, so I don't know where to go. I end up going. I see that it's near the gates. It's at the opposite end of where I am. I'm going there. I'm queuing a little bit. Fine. I mean, oh, many flights got canceled. So I'm like, okay, why? You know, it's, it's okay. I arrive and I give. I say, okay, my flight has been canceled. And I have in my hand my Google flight. And I said, okay, this is the only thing I could work. And she barely looks at it. She types, 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 almost doesn't talk to me. And then she hands me a boarding pass. Okay. And the boarding pass says the flight from 6.20 p.m. So that's like 12 hours later. And I'm like, I look at her and says, this is not what I ask. I mean, I, I, this is way too late for me. And I'm showing you here a route that I can do. A manager was just behind her, steps in and looks at my boarding pass and says, oh, sir, but you are in premium. So that's not the right desk. And I'm like... Yes, but I'm here and you can do it. No, but that's not the right desk. You need to go to that desk, one, whatever, 126, on the other hand of the airport. I'm like, oh, but for Pete's. And at that time, over. No, no more talking to me. So I'm like, okay, I need to get that done. So I rush to the other side of the airport. I arrive and I see clearly, you know, you know, this premium or cleaning mark, there's a carpet in front of it that is slightly different. So you're like, okay, this is a premium desk. But I see that the premium desk is cordoned off. You know, these very, usually the nice, a cord that you they put like to make it like fancy. Yeah. It was just closed off. So I, I go on the side and I talk to the guy, say, Hey, this is a premium desk. He looks at me, say, Yes. And I say, So I had this flight, blah, blah, blah. I tell my story. He says, You need to get out of the airport and do that at ticketing. I'm like, No, but I was just in here. I'm Ursad. I've never actually left Istanbul Airport. I never actually went to Turkey in the way because right. it was, No, don't want to know. You need to go there. I mean, unbelievable. That's, that's a, unbelievable. They got this, and then stopped to talk to me. There was two other people with me next to me. They were having the same issue. We looked at each other. I said, okay, well, the guy doesn't, simply doesn't want to work. So I had to go out. So I had to actually clear uh, uh, immigration. What? Which, you know, you're, you're think, I'm thankful that I have this kind of passport that I can go in any country because, you know, if yeah. you have a specific passport and you cannot clear customs, uh, sorry, immigration very, very easily, that's a, that's a pain. And I go out and the same thing happens forever. I try to find... The premium ticketing, which is not marked as well. It's, I ended up finding it this time. I was so tired. I, I went to the, that lady and I told her, this is a flight you're putting me on. You have no choice. And she looked at me and said, you have no choice. Put me on that flight. And she like, but, but I said, no. And she did it. I, I'm sorry to her, by the way. I was a bit maybe rude or directive or something. But, you know, it's 
So customer service at Turkish is still not there yet, to be honest. A great product, and I'll talk about it a bit later. So it's, it's that was that was what I said. It's a, I have no idea how you kept your cool because that would have driven me crazy. I think I think I kept my cool because I, th- I want to get things that I want to be in scope here for yeah. the client. There's no other way. I need to get there. Yeah. The only and that was my only option. So the flight going through Zagreb was my only option. But it shows you that sometimes uh, we're lucky, you and me, and other people maybe that listen to us that we are we have all these tools and we know about these tools where to look for alternate flights, how yeah. to get you know a notification. This is what we're trying to do in this show. But at the end of the day, you still have to talk to a human. We said customer service. That's the kind of thing that where it breaks sometimes. Yeah. So talking That's- about breaking. Uh, <laughs> Air India has thankfully not broken up, but there was this, this very worrying story that you found. I, yeah, this popped up on airliners, and I, uh, the story has only come out, but this happened two years ago. An Air India 787 flew from New Delhi to Bangalore with 147 people on it, and there's a panel that covers um, the heat exchanger, and it has spaces for 47 screws. To, to make sure that it is safely attached. There were only four screws in it. So it flew with four of 47 screws installed. And that is, I think, pretty, not typical is not the right word, but it's just another maintenance issue from Air India on a basically a brand new airplane. And that's, it's, I mean, it's frightening. It's it's really frightening. If they're if you know if they're doing that, then what else are they doing or or, or not doing in this? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, this uh, again, can I had sent me an article that is really well done by Vanity Fair, where it's just basically the state of maintenance today. It's uh, very U.S. centric, but it shows you how maintenance now it's more and more outsourced uh, maintenance of aircraft. That is, it's outsourced in third party countries. Uh, they mentioned El Salvador and Mexico, of course, China and others. And again, here we're not talking about dissing El Salvador, China, or Mexico. No. I, so I have a couple of thoughts on on and reactions to this article, which is yeah, very, please, because it's a very long article, it's very, you, but it's very you well guys written read it. and, and very interesting. And yeah, you should definitely read it. Uh, so a couple of things: I I fail to be persuaded that the FAA would allow this to happen if it was mm-hmm. of any risk to safety. Uh, and secondly, you know, th- there's a little bit of fear mongering in here, a lot of fear mongering here by saying, "You're right. Um, it's done in China, therefore it's bad." And let's remember that I agree. One I of the one. single best maintenance facilities in the world is in Xiamen in China, Taiko, which is owned by Swire, who owned Cathay and just a bunch of other, uh, just about every other, you know, high quality aviation infrastructure company in the world. They are, without dispute, quantifiably one of the best airline and aviation manufacturing and maintenance companies in the world. So just because it's in China doesn't mean it's bad. I don't I don't know anything about El Salvador or Mexico, but... No, I agree. This is why I said we should be dissing because it's too easy. Like, And that's the, also the thing. I'm not as uh, well-informed as you in terms of the maintenance spots in the world, but it's true that just saying, like, guys, it's in El Salvador, it means that it's crap. This is just way too easy. The world has changed. You see engineers now, great engineers all around the world, it doesn't mean that something is done in a third country that, oh, guys, it's our planes are going to crash. Yeah. But it still leaves out the door or how do we cert- make sure that certification happens in other countries? I don't know, to be honest. I have no clue. For the moment, you know, like we 
said many times over, uh, it's never has been as safe to fly. Planes don't dislocate in midair just like that. So it seems that for at least it seems to be working, especially in countries that have very high standard of quality maintenance in terms of regulation. Yes. Most of uh, the countries in Europe, in the US and others, it's true that some countries don't. Uh, there was an art- a very quick article that I found on LinkedIn, actually. Uh, someone said, should there be a Carfax record report for commercial airliners? So basically a Carfax is... You have your car and it says, oh, your car has been damaged here and there. And, uh, you know, when you want to sell it uh, as a secondhand car, there's a kind of a report. And they said we should do the same for airliners and it, it should be accessible to public. So yeah, but what, you, what, what, what exactly? good will the public having this information do? It, it won't. It won't do anything. I think it would just create this kind of thing like, oh, this, this aircraft had had a tail strike. 10 years ago, I'm not going to fly it. Whereas yeah. actually, if the repair is done correctly, there's no problem. So that's, I agree. I just wanted to mention you, it because uh, to see that there's this kind of debate going yeah. on around. around I, I think it's, it's uh, no, it's not, they, we shouldn't have that. I think mean, you can go on airfleets.net and see how old an airplane is and what airlines have owned it. And that will give you some, you do that on most US airlines and you won't want to fly any US airline because you're going to, the plane will <laughs> almost, quant- almost guaranteed be older than you are. And we're not that young anymore. Yeah. Um, the, uh, <laughs> talking about that, it was, uh, so the first week of my two weeks of travels, I was flying with Swiss from, uh, London to Zurich. Uh, there was a lot of fog. If you, uh, remember, if you guys live in London, so a lot of flights got canceled and it was the first day I got, th- I got lucky that the flights were actually taking off again. So, and we are at the gate and suddenly, you know, five minute delay, 10 minute delay, 20 minute, you know, it goes and we're like, hmm, what, what's going on there? And suddenly the guy, <laughs> announces, oh, we got to ditch a third of the passengers. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> Turns out the last emergency exit door, you know, couldn't be opened properly. So they had no choice, uh, but I mean, it's not, a, it's not a risk for flying. It's just no. a risk in case of evacuation. Yeah, because it's a certain number of passengers per exit, right? Per exit, because you have to ensure a, a quick evacuation, 90 right. seconds. So, but then what the mess it happened because Ethro, for those who don't know, Ethro has a, uh, it's a privatized system of handling. So each airline can have its own handling and handlers are competing against each other. You can see there's always a dispatcher. So a person responsible for the flight to make sure the flight leaves on time and everything happens smoothly. And he's obviously an employee of that handling company. And you could see the guy was freaking out because they get, since Ethro, it's so, um, at capacity, the fines for a plane that leaves late are really hefty. Right. Uh, so, and the guy that he made one mistake after just announcing a third of the people would make the flight instead of telling them to go to, you know, a separate desk, he just said, yeah, I'll come to the gate and just talk to us. So basically the entire hundreds of passengers started like being at the gate. So there was a huge mess. Who's oh, going to get into no. the plane? Who's going to not go into the plane, which delayed even further. And we got into the plane. And we were missing passengers, obviously, because some of the passengers haven't seen that mess. They said, you know what? I'm not going to even try. I'm surely not there. So I'm going to go back having a coffee. So then they were like on the lookout for where are the passengers that were. Jeez. Funnily enough, the guy next to me was uh, waiting with me at the gate was um, executive at Swiss. He handles the online, all the websites, basically. The, the guy had his flights canceled five times uh, leading to that day because of the fog. And he was like, Please tell me we're paying me. We're taking off. Tell me we're taking off. I want to. I want to go back. Oh God! 
but but the worst was probably Lufthansa. It's uh, just 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 after we we recorded last time, we were talking about you know the European problems with unions and, and careers. But suddenly, what there was the one the biggest strike ever by Lufthansa. What a mess! We were so happy that neither of us were flying. Lufthansa. Yeah, you were about to fly Lufthansa. I, they yeah. canceled so many flights. It was. Yeah, it was a huge strike. This seems to happen like clockwork for Lufthansa at the moment. I mean, that they cannot catch a break. I mean, it was thou- we're talking like over a thousand flights were canceled, and Flight Radar, yeah, Flight Radar Twenty Four, whose tweets are super super interesting, was showing kind of befores and, a- and durings and afters, just to showing the number of Lufthansa planes in the air over Europe, and it was like it was staggering how many flights weren't flying. Yeah, it was. Uh, I had a few friends flying out from San Francisco and on Lufthansa. They were all shouting, "What the hell is happening?" You know, it's really damaging for the this, the brand, obviously, but also you know Germany has this kind of brand of reputation of you know quality yeah, and efficiency. on time, yep. and uh, it's really not easy for them. So uh, no, I know this one was caused by the cabin staff this time. Last time, I think it was the pilots. Yeah, but it's a big one and. The competition is obviously, for instance, Norwegian. So we had mentioned Norwegian in the last two episodes, and uh, a friend of ours, John Bradford, uh, which tweeted us a lot, actually put some pictures of the product on on Twitter for us to see. He actually said something very interesting. Uh, he said, "If Virgin Atlantic launched today, it would look something like Norwegian Transatlantic." Interesting, yeah, right? I agree. I've I've never flown Norwegian. I want to. I'm looking forward to it. But having Heard feedback and experiences. It yes, it sounds like a very virgin product. Uh, by the way, and so when he was doing that, we were starting you and me talking as we always do about that airline. And I stumbled upon because I had never checked their website, and they have the website. Uh, the they call it Long Distance Revolution, where they talk about their transatlantic route. What an amazing website! Yeah, they've done an incredible job of this kind of interactive experience, really showcasing the the Dreamliner because that's what they use on their long haul. Correct, and it's uh, it's neat. I mean, it does you know why it's such an efficient airplane? Play with all the features like the windows and. You can uh, you can make your seat. You can see the different seating, so and you can make them recline. You can so see how it would feel, the yeah. mood of the lightning. It makes you want to fly them. Yeah, it's a very very well done site. Yeah, I would I would totally I would totally fly. I really want to fly them now even more because I've never flown the seven eighty seven, but also because that's it's not only good branding. It's really you know it shows the difference between some other airlines. I just mentioned Turkish. It's so difficult to understand which product you're going to have. Whereas when you see that, you're like, wow, this is what I'm going to be expecting. Yes. This looks cool. Yeah, it's, looks, it's really know, cool. It's really cool. Talking uh, about, I, I want to try. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, I just, I'm excited to try them. I need to find a, a route there. And they're cheap too, because I think it's, it's a, it's a, no frills isn't the right word, but you, you know, you pay for your, some of your amenities like IFE and food and all that stuff, which I think is fine as long as you know to expect it. And I, uh, I think I will really try to fly them next time go to, to the, to the US. I really want to see what it's all about. It seems really, really cool. So yeah. thank you, John. Uh, shout out to you for always being so kind to us and retweeting and talking about your airline experience. We'll have to invite you one of these days on our yeah. show. Uh, and uh, we want to know about all about Norwegian. We'll also ask, of course, Greg for that because he's been flying them so many times. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm going to grant something to Turkish. So Turkish is a difficult airline to love because they have all the, like I mentioned, the customer service is still not great. But it's a company that is 
that has gone from flag carrier, very traditional, old-fashioned, almost civil servant attitude, that is trying to go to the 21st century. And it's, it has one of the youngest fleets. Uh, it, it, it is going forward. It's investing a lot, a lot, a lot of money into its product, a lot of money into its strategy. It's actually, I think it's the airline that flies in the most destinations in the world, even more than Emirates, like 180 or something. So they actually are a very good airline. Uh, they've been named many times, you know, the world's best European airline. I think of not world's best European. It doesn't mean anything. The European's best European airline on Skytrax. And you know what? I flew. That was a lot, my last leg. I flew Istanbul to London. I, on purpose, chose to fly the A330-300. Uh, so a little tip. If you fly these premium rides, look on Turkish website. They tell you which aircraft. The best aircraft, the new product is on the 777, on the 330. Okay. And wow, yes, when you fly that, this is clearly the best airline in Europe. Honestly, the product is fantastic. The quality, the, the, the staff was great, obviously. The seats were amazing. I was in premium. I cannot even believe what kind of seats it's. We're not talking, of course, the luxurious things that some of the Middle Eastern carriers are doing, but fantastic quality. And the IFE. So I just said, uh, we mentioned many times the IFE. This is by far the best IFE I've ever seen. It's so snappy. It's called New Planet. It's so, so snappy. Wow. It's elegant. It shows you, you'd love it because it shows you all the information. There's a little map and it shows you how much time you have. And you have like many information about the aircraft. At the same time, you can see movies. I mean, the usual stuff you see in IFEs, but I've never seen such a fantastic IFE in terms of UI, in terms of experience. It is Fantastic. So, guys, congratulations. I know you have a hard time. You know how many uh, IFEs they have concurrently? Uh, like at, like different versions? Yeah, they have 20. That's ridiculous. But because they have this thing where they buy new aircraft and they put a try a new IFE. And they've been having, I think, the strategy for a long time where let's keep a younger fleet. So, let's buy a new aircraft, new product. But I think this time they settled something. So, they will improve. This This one will be the one that you'll see more and more in other aircraft. It's fantastic. So, I hope Turkish guys deploy that IFE in other routes because this that's, is fantastic. But that's product. part of the problem with these guys, isn't it? Ultimately, the inconsistency across the product on the same route and the uh, of, of the hard product and as well as the huge inconsistency in soft product, both I on the, the ground product, and in the I air. I think it's like you, you're right. You're right. But I think it's uh, they are buying more aircraft, newer aircraft, which means they will be phasing out some of the other product, of course. But like like I said, they have the a very young fleet, so it's kind of hard to say, oh, let's just ditch all these aircraft that already are still very well maintained. So it's it's true. There's an inconsistency that forced me to like, oh, the 1255 from uh, Istanbul at the Turk to, to London is the one I should take because of the A330. It's true that it shouldn't be that way, but I'm going to give them the time to get there. They will, I, I honestly believe they can't get there because, and they are doing, you know, their seats, uh, because I was trying to know like, who does, does their seat? I've never seen a seat like that. And actually, I think it, they're doing them themselves. They have a, a subsidiary company for Turkish and they do their own seats and they're really, 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 really cool. So no, a kudos to them for, for doing that. I hope they, it's true they're inconsistent. I, I think they have a long, a long way to go to be consistent. But even the small flight I took from Istanbul to Zagreb, which was, you know, A320, I think so it was nothing special. 
very good quality. The seats were very good, like regular seats that you find, you know, like normal recliner seats that you find anywhere in all the aircrafts and even including EasyJet, but very good quality. If if that this product plus the premium product just mentioned, the A330 and the 770, is that's the future of Turkish? Yes, they are, they're probably one of the best airlines in Europe. Yeah, that's, I'm going to have to try them then. Because so, I have an opportunity, I'm still playing with my flights for an upcoming trip, and uh, <laughs> yeah, we mentioned product is appealing for sure. Seven six seven with uh, VA or that. Yeah. yeah, honestly, the product is really, really good. Uh, the food is also good, and uh, I, I loved it. So Turkish kudos for that because could continue in that way, and I'll I'll tell people that you're the great greatest if you continue the old ways and you're still not making a better customer service nah not that much so you're halfway there let's put it like yeah. this you know <laughs> uh so since we talk turkish uh obviously that the home airport is called uh istanbul ataturk have you ever been to that airport alex yes uh let's see three or four years ago so what do you think not cool <laughs> not so cool would, at all it's so the airport was there. The two terminals, basically domestic, that you probably won't fly unless you fly within Turkey, and of course international. The international dates from two thousand, and what you can see that it has completely outlived its, its purpose. Uh, it was built at a time where Turkish, because Turkish is this company that we just mentioned that went from a very traditional flight career. They made some good strategic decisions in the eighties and the nineties, but it really exploded in the two thousands. Yeah. And it was made for maybe, what, 10 million passengers? And we are now at, I think there's just on the international terminal, there must be at least almost 40 million. And that shows. It's impossible to navigate. There's so many people. You try to go through security, it takes you forever. Yeah. There's no room, basically. There's no room. Well, and I think it's, it's only fair to point out that they are very close to having a new airport. Yeah. This is why we are going to allow ourselves to bash a little bit that airport because yeah. they will have a new airport by 20, which, by the way, amazes me. The tender of the new airports was 2013, two years ago. The airport opens in two years. And we have other cities, including here in London, where it takes you seemingly 20 years just to build a runway. Just to even and get the okay to do it in the first place. In four years, they're able to go from nothing to have a new airport, which will host, in the end, when it's finished, 150 million passengers a year. Amazing, so anyway, isn't it? So, Atatürk, uh, any tips, any things you want to say that I have a few? The only thing I was going to say is make sure you get there in good time because you <laughs> have to go through security twice. Once to get into the airport, and yeah. then once to get to the end to, to airside. There are X-ray machines at the entrance, and then again, of course, for the security. Yeah, it's true. So it takes you a little bit of time to do that. Uh, it's it's a very not very clear airport to navigate. I'm sorry, guys, it's really a bit. It's always full, meaning there's people all over the place. Yeah. You cannot expect to just breeze through, or you just have to you know use your shoulders. It's always packed to death again because of the reason that we said if you're in premium i don't know not many are but i was lucky to be twice there in premium what i learned this time i didn't know there's for security there's a security that leads you directly if you fly turkish or any of the alliance partner directly through the turkish lounge the turkish lounge is very clever because so it has won many times over the best lounge in the world etc uh, well the reason i say it's clever is because the airport is was not made to host such a lounge so they did a building within a building next time you go there look at it and you'll see that it's almost like i think it's a bit hollywood they 
build this stuff. You can see the old structure of the airport around it. If you right. put like a structure within it, it's huge. They, they say uh, in some of their advertising, our lounge is as big as some airports. <laughs> it is. There's two floors. There's uh, virtual gold. There are PlayStation. What? There's like rest. No, I'm not kidding. There are restaurants. There are uh, areas. There are piano playing. There are like food all over the place, including local food and Turkish food is really amazing. Oh, yeah, there's a really smart thing about your luggages. There's a lot of space to actually, you know, lockers. They are actually transparent. So very clever. So you put your luggage there and you, you code it and then you can see it from, from away. It's, uh, That's cool. It's a very nice. Uh, is it the best lounge I've ever been to? I'm not going to say it is because it's already sometimes way too packed, but it's fantastic. The rest of the airport, there are a lot of shopping, uh, a lot of you know, usually duty-free stuff, Uh there's a few restaurants, none of them really anything to write home about. But I think it's because, like Alex just mentioned, the new airport will open. So it seems like they have a bit stopped of really investing in that one. It's just mm-hmm. like, let's use that as much as we can until the end of days. And, then, and the other sad thing that you have to know, though it's a good airport in terms of destinations, it's the second world worst airport in terms of cancellations and delays. That's good to know. You know, when I told you the story earlier about my flight was canceled, I never got an explanation why it was canceled. Really? My feeling was, no, not, no one told me, you know, was it a mechanical failure? Was, it was just canceled. Uh, so, of course, my gut feeling told me maybe the plane was not full enough and they just canceled it. But apparently, there's so many Bad. problems of capacity at an airport that they just cancel flights all the time. And the delays are really big. So, that's, you, you have to know that if you fly there. Because... It's not only a destination airport. They have this strategy. They're thinking about the same one that, you know, Singapore, Hong Kong, Dubai, Abu Dhabi. They have this uh, hub and spoke strategy where they want you to go to use Turkish to fly in the world. So be careful about that. And uh, and timing to, even though you stay within the international terminal, you have to clear security once more before reaching your next gate. Mm. And that. Because we just said the airport is packed, takes you forever. The queue, the second, the time I was there, there was a queue was, honestly, I'm not kidding, must have been at least an hour long. So the the only time that I have been there, I, I'm almost embarrassed to, to, to say this, but I got picked up by one of those carts at the gate as I came off the airplane like, you know, a VIP card. I wasn't injured or anything. And they took us through this like special immigration lane and security lane, both going and coming. So I didn't have to endure that. That will Lucky not be the you. case next month. <laughs> Lucky you never happened to me. You always, you always find the best. Oh, I don't know I how trouble with you that, more. that happened, but uh, I wasn't going to say no. So our conclusion is that uh, it's not a great airport. It's not a great airport for layovers either. There's the hotel airport. Honestly, scrap. Uh, sorry, but it's the quality is not there and it's too expensive for what it is. I've slept one night there before having my flight canceled. So you know what? They're going to have a new airport. So thankfully, uh, they're not not sure if they're going to shut this one off completely mm. or if they're going to retain it for some domestic activity. It's not sure yet, but I'm really really looking forward for the airport because I think it will also help Turkish as an airline to finally maybe get to that ambition. They want to be one of the major airlines like uh, Emirates and and others because that's a huge bottleneck for them. Yeah. 
Yeah, it is. And I think the, it looks like it's going to be a spectacular airport. I hope so, because Turk, uh, Istanbul is one of the most f- fascinating cities you can visit. It's fantastic. It's really, I really advise all the people here to go. And hopefully you, Alex, will do an attaché show in Istanbul one of these days. Perhaps. No, I don't know if I'll do one this time, but I may do a little mini one just because just it is a great city, as you say. <laughs> great food. I know yeah, I know. Food. It would basically be a little show of me eating things, which most of them <laughs> are, frankly. <laughs> I'm looking forward to look at you eating things. <laughs> uh, on that, I know I've talked to, sorry, I've talked a lot this episode because I had this. Yeah, you had this so unbelievable much, yeah. adventure. And I don't think you can use any other word. It was definitely an adventure. So next time, I promise uh, the show will be so, uh, around Alex and eating food. In <laughs> yeah, that, that's my that's my thing. <laughs> Happy travels! All right, safe travels, guys. On behalf of layovers and the entire crew, we would like to thank you for joining us on this podcast today, and we're looking forward to seeing you on board again next week. Flight attendants, please prepare for landing. <laughs>